How come there's no knock-knock joke about freedom? Because freedom reigns. <laughs> we have a lot to be thankful for, folks. Not only do we live in the greatest country in the world, but we have Jesus. So we're free in every way. Mm -hmm. Our nation was founded on a godly heritage. The world tries very hard to disprove this. But our founding fathers, as it were, were largely very religious Christian uh, men who never intended for our government or culture to be void of Christ's influence. As a matter of fact, they felt that democracy would never work if Christian, godly, biblical influence were withdrawn or excluded from our culture. Amen. I always like to talk about the godly history and Christian roots of our nation around certain holidays. Unfortunately, you don't learn these things, these truths, anymore in our public school system. But that can and should change. Prayer is powerful. And if all the Christians would be united, if all the believers would unite, as was the Lord's Prayer on that fateful night, things would change. The British blamed what was known as the Black Regiment for the American Revolution. The Black Regiment was not, was not made up of, of, of black folks, like you might think, but it was because it was the clergy and it was because of the black robes that they wore. The preachers. They wore the black clerical robes. So they came up with the name of the Black Regiment. And they said that there would still be a happy British colony here in America today if it were not for the preachers. That's how it was back then. When the British came into New York City... They burned down 10 of the 19 churches, and they burned down churches all over Virginia and elsewhere, and the preachers got the worst treatment because they were speaking out. They weren't afraid. <laughs> Clinton Rossiter from Cornell University, he, he served there from... 1947 until 1970 when he died he wrote a book called Seed Time in the Republic it was a very highly acclaimed book he won one many awards and he had one question in mind where did these ideas that America came up with in this great declaration of independence and other founding documents come from no other countries in the world were operating in this way no one had the concepts that America had which made it great. And so he sought out to find out and he systematically researched 
and found out who were the most influential people in the founding documents that established our nation. And what he came up with was there were six people who were very influential, had profound effects on our nation. And all of those six who shaped the nation had the same views. Four of them were preachers of the gospel. There was a reverend named John Wise, and he was one of them. And I just want to mention a couple of things about him. He lived in Massachusetts uh, from the 1680s uh, up into the early 1700s. And by 1687, he had preached a sermon saying, All men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Sound familiar? Another sermon in that same year looked into all the biblical forms of government, monarchies, republics, democracies, etc., and determined, based on biblical truth, it is clear that God's preferred form of government is the consent of the governed. Does that sound familiar? Of the people, for the people, by the people, right? All three ended up being clawed in the Declaration of Independence. Because in 1772, over 80 years after all these sermons, he had sown these seeds of the Word of God and these truths in, in, in the colonies. The founding fathers, they found all his sermons and they reprinted them in a book. And it was spread all over the colonies throughout America and then had several reprints. People were eating it up. And what they were doing was they were renewing their minds according to the word and to biblical truths regarding government. Mm -hmm. Listen, folks, in college, I made a perfect score in history. I say that because it wasn't that way with every class, but I was never taught any of this. Wise, John Wise, is preaching all this in the 1680s. And in 1772, here it gets reintroduced to the Americas and all these godly biblical ideals. And four years later, they all end up in the Declaration of Independence. And it's probably no coincidence, seeing how God works, that through his marriage, John Wise was a great uncle to John Adams, who was the second president of the United States. Even Calvin Coolidge said that John Wise was instrumental in the writing of the Declaration of Independence. So see, when I, uh, when I was studying the history and political science and all this stuff in high school and college, I just thought, well... Uh, we even saw a film, I remember, where it had like Thomas Jefferson up there just banging it away in his library and he was just really thoughtful and Ben Franklin and those guys would stop by and bother him once in a while. You know, they didn't give any credit to God or any other influence. But what they did, every one of them had this book with all these sermons that had been passing around through the colonies 
And that's where they formulated all their opinions. Uh, certain clauses from all these sermons ended up in the Declaration of Independence. Matter of fact, there was a woman named Alice Baldwin, amazing woman from Duke University. She was the dean of women's undergraduate uh, uh, the university in, from 1926 until she retired in 1947. And she fought for women's rights at the university. But she was a great historian. She read through her research, he said, probably more old sermons than anyone in American history. And she's quoted as saying, there are 27 clauses in the Declaration of Independence and there is not a single right asserted in the Declaration of Independence which had not been preached from the American pulpit prior to 1763. So by the time we get to 1776, the Declaration of Independence is just a summary of the sermons they'd been hearing in church for the past several years in the colonies. Amen. Then the British attacked the United States. We sent 55,000 troops, 28,000 sailors, and when the fighting started, it was usually the pastor of the local church leading his congregation out to fight and defend themselves and their loved ones and their God-given rights. In the Battle of Lexington, it was the Reverend Jonas Clark, you may have heard of him, who led 150 men from his church out to meet the British in battle. That's one that I did learn about in school. <laughs> but there was another one, John, Reverend John Peter Molenberg. He preached a message from the pulpit in Woodstock, Virginia, and quoted Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It went something like this. For everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what was planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And then he took off his black robe and was dressed for battle with his sword on his side. And he led 300 men from that church who enlisted and they became the 8th Virginia Brigade. George Washington himself asked him to take the position of colonel. This preacher had a brother named Frederick. He was a minister also, and he didn't approve of his brother enlisting until they burned his church down right in front of him. And he signed up too. <laughs> the entire point of all this information is just to show that the church and Christian believers were not only a big part of the fabric of this nation's beginnings, but it was always intended to be that way and to stay that way. Amen. Amen. Today, you hear people lean on 
scriptures like Matthew twenty two twenty one, where Jesus said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and the things and to God the things that are God's. He didn't say render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's or the things to God that are God's. He said and. We're supposed to be involved in both. He wants us to grow in the grace and knowledge of, our Lord, knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to renew our minds according to his word. He wants us to follow after the Holy Spirit and the, his truth. But he wants us to also get out of the salt shaker. We are salt and light to a sick and dark and dying world. Amen. He wants us to get out there. And be a part of everything. And use our influence. Because it is God who gives promotion. Amen. And as his representatives of his light. And his love. And his truth. And integrity. And principles. We can help in every way. In Hebrews 11. Which is referred to as the great faith chapter. Everyone mentioned in verse 32 were all involved in civil government. Moses, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel. Why would God use them as examples to us if it was forbidden for us to be in their line of work? Scripture says in 1 Timothy Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Listen, there are basically five influential aspects of our society and culture. Business, education, government, media or entertainment, and the pulpit. The Bible has instructions for every area or arena of life. For business, for education, for all of them. The law... Which everybody likes to make jokes about attorneys. There's good and bad in every walk of life. God doesn't particularly have anything against attorneys. Although I wonder if sometimes if he doesn't have something against theologians. <laughs> Maybe I'll talk, explain that a little more next week. <laughs> There's something about everything in the Bible, even space, parenting, architecture. During the first great awakening, between 1731 and 55, preachers just preached what God said about current events in the newspapers, and it influenced people's ideas of what things should be and how they should be and it brought people back to God in a culture which had lost track of him 
It was similar in the second Great Awakening. But there was a preacher named Tunis Warpman in the early years of the U.S., and he preached a message called A Voice of Warning Regarding the Ensuing Election for President of the United States. And all he did, he said there's two parties, there's two candidates, and here's what the platform for each one is. Here's what they say, and based on that, here's the godly choice. It was that simple. But now, you see people that are, you see churches divided over these sort of things. Because God is not divided, you see. Paul had a great, <laughs> he, he really got on to some folks in the Corinthian church. For one saying, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul, I follow Cephas. He said, what, is Christ divided? God says, come, let us reason together. And if there's, you know, there are things in this word that, you know, every Sunday you don't hear preachers preaching on the book of Revelation because most of us don't really fully understand it. I think I have a pretty good handle on most things, but there's a lot of things, like somebody mentioned earlier, uh, the tribulation. You hear the different teachings and thoughts on pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. Those aren't deal breakers, folks. You believe one, I believe the other. That's okay. It's not going to keep us out of heaven. <laughs> as, long as, we, as long as we both believe He's coming back for us, He died for us, and He's coming back for us, we're all good, okay? <laughs> But there are some things that are very clear in this word. And Christians are supposed to settle on what they find in this word. If we disagree, okay, let's find out what... People used to go to the church to find out things and settle their disputes. Paul blasted them again for taking their lawsuits to unbelievers to settle. He said, what is wrong with you guys? Here you are filled with the Spirit of God. Don't you know one day you'll judge angels? And you're taking your petty differences to unbelievers to settle your differences? Don't you have anyone with enough wisdom amongst you to settle your disputes? <laughs> We're living way below our inheritance, folks. We're not supposed to be living just a natural life anymore. This is a supernatural life. Life that you've entered into. I'm going to skip a whole bunch of this because it's Fourth of July. And we got started late and went a little long on the music, and uh, which is good. It's a day of celebration. Amen. Amen. I want to tell you something, though, and I could give you hours of information about all this. The separation of church and state was never meant for the government to dictate what the church could, could do and could say. It was intended to protect the rights of the church. Yes. 
and never to minimize its ability to work within the fabric of our society or our society's institutions. And we have to go to work to get these values and truths instilled back into the minds of the young people of our nation because the enemy is desperately trying to win them over. And without any resistance or fight from believers, he'll have his way. It's just a fact. We're the only thing keeping him from having his way in everything in this world anyway. When we're gone, there will be nothing to protect them. And the young people are the hearts and minds of our country. They're the ones that are going to decide how the future of this nation goes. And right now, it's, well, if the government will pay me more to stay home from work and buy me a new game system, why should I work? It's great to be in ministry. I'm thankful and honored. And I know that for me, there's no higher calling than that which I've received as a minister of the gospel. And I'm thankful that I still have the ability and the strength to work a secular job as well. I, I love doing both for a season. But not everyone's called to the pulpit. God has a plan for lawyers, for doctors, for those in media, for families, for parenting. I hear a lot of people complaining about the school systems and this and that and the other. But you know, when you're amongst them or you ask them questions, you see what's being taught in their homes. You know, it's not there. It's like, start there. The job of a parent which I, I failed miserably. I didn't know the Lord. I failed in every way and almost everything. I threw away everything God tried to give me in this life. And my gifts were abundant. So I'm not judging anyone. I love you. But I'm telling you that children are just on loan to parents from God. And their job is to bring them up in the fear and admonition, the teaching and respect and honor and awe of God. I didn't get that. But now I know it, so I have to pass that on. I need to pass that on. A lot of people listen a lot more than are here all over the world to these messages. That's the truth. And when they reach a certain age, you give them back. And then you're going to answer, here's what I did while I had them. Doesn't mean you don't have anything to do with them anymore. No, you love them, of course. We love our families, but this is your family. You look around. These are the people you'll see in heaven. And others like yourselves who have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I can tell you this. To say, well, we're going to wait and let our child decide when they're old enough on their own. That's a mistake. And that goes against everything that this word teaches you you're supposed to do. I'm 
well, you know, I could just go on. <laughs> George Washington was so popular in this nation, he could have been king. They say that he could have, he could have declared, I'm going to start a monarchy and everyone would have supported him and backed him as king. But he wanted what God wanted for this country. He knew these same truths that we were talking about here today. I'm sure he read that same book. A lot of people don't know these things about these founding fathers, but he didn't want that. And we should be fighting for what we have. Amen. Speaking of kings, though, I have a message I want to preach right now so badly, but I'll, I'll save it for next week. Here. Minds can only absorb as much as your seats can endure. But talking about kings, I want to talk to you a little bit how you can live a life of total freedom and live like a king for the rest of your life here and for eternity. And I'll share that with you tomorrow because I know the answer. Amen. God bless you all. Happy Independence Day. Thank God that you are free in Christ Jesus, free from the law of sin and death. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Amen. I love you. God loves you. Any of you need anything from me, please do not hesitate to call. I'm happy to pray with you, agree with you. Anything you need, I'm there if possible. Amen. Father, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for this Independence Day. Thank you, Lord, for protecting the rights uh, that we have in this nation to worship you and to serve you freely. And thank you for all of your love and blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.